So y'all ready uh, to continue uh, with the, the last part of this teaching on the journey of the bride? Um, do you see how it starts out um, in the garden? And it's still continuing. And it's basically what the whole Bible is about. Uh, the Bible is a love letter and instruction um, of Messiah to and for his bride. And so that she would know the relationship that he asks of her and so that she would understand and know his love for her. All right. So uh, now we're going to continue in our next session. We're just continuing the teaching on the subject of the journey of the bride. So we need to understand that the bride's destination is the second stage of the marriage. Not to be betrothed, but to consummate the marriage and to have a close, intimate, personal, eternal relationship. That's the purpose of the second stage of the marriage. And so the second stage of the marriage is called and likened to Mount Zion. And so this was the purpose of the coming out of Egypt for redeeming his bride from under the authority of Pharaoh is that he would ultimately take her to the promised land to Jerusalem to Mount Zion. Now Jerusalem means the Lord sees shalom, right? To be spiritually minded is life in shalom. So when we get spiritually minded, which is to mean the end result is we're in the state of shalom and that's Jerusalem. The Lord sees shalom. So that's what he desires of his bride. Ultimately, the journey concludes with Chai, life, Shalom, and Shabbat. He wants his bride to rest in him. Because what is one of the primary things a woman is concerned about is her security, her well-being. So what's, if, if she has that satisfied, she's in the state of Shalom. And she's in the state of rest. Her mind's not going a million miles an hour because um, she feels insecure. Or this is not taken care of and that's not taken care of. It's, okay. I can have Shalom and Shabbat. So that's the goal. That's the outcome that she will have if she puts her full trust in her bridegroom, even Yeshua Messiah. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse... 22, the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. He brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land that he swore to our fathers. So what's the land that he's bringing his bride to? To do his will. And so what's your promised land? If the Almighty has promised you something specifically that He's called you to do in your life and you are pursuing it, that's your promised land. So He called you and brought you out to give you a land that He swore to you, that He, that he uh, 
promised to you. So the promised land is walking in the will of God, walking in the fulfillment of the promises of God. The promised land is the second stage of the marriage. The promised land is Jerusalem. The promised land is Mount Zion. And the promised land is Messiah dwelling with his bride. And she has life, peace, and Shabbat. And so here's the picture of the journey to leave Egypt and to go to the promised land. Now on the way to the promised land, the fulfillment of the journey, in between the calling out of Egypt and the fulfillment of the journey is the wilderness. Now that isn't just something that literally happened to the children of Israel. That is a prophetic blueprint. That when He calls you out and you put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost, i.e. whenever you accept Yeshua as your Savior and Lord, in between Him bringing you to that place of Shabbat and Shalom, you're going to go through the wilderness. You know what life is? The wilderness. And so what's the wilderness? It's the place of trials and temptations. And um, what's the purpose of the wilderness, the trials and the temptations? And we're told in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, that he fed you with manna and he suffered you to hunger that you may know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God does man live. You see, when you're in Egypt, um, you trust in the provision of Egypt. But when you trust in the provision of Egypt, yeah, you might believe in the God of Israel, but you're walking in and you're trusting and you're feeling comfortable with the provision of Egypt. And you don't know the fullness of the relationship with the God of Israel because the fullness of the relationship with Him is that you'll live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You'll live by following His Torah and you'll live by the truth of the promise that He made to you. And so He caused you to hunger and He fed you with manna which you did not know and it was to test and to prove what was in your heart. So if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, that's what it says. To test and to show what was in your heart. That you would follow the Lord or not. And that you would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Yah. So in this journey, you're going to be experiencing two things at the same time before you come to Mount Zeo. Um, you're going to suffer hunger and he's going to feed you with manna at the same time. And so hunger is your trials and tests and tribulations and things in life sometimes just don't go right and we don't understand why. But he's also going to feed you with manna. That means that is his supernatural provision that you have testimony and witness of the Lord's hand in your life and you can go tell your friend, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you what the Lord did. Let me tell you the situation here. Let me tell you how um, um, he stepped in. He intervened. And the miraculous thing that he did, it was just like amazing. So you're going to have both testimonies at the same time. And so um, 
The purpose of the wilderness, the purpose of the wilderness is the wilderness is the place where the flesh is to die. The wilderness is the place where the flesh is to die. Now, in the natural, in the physical, you know what it's like for the flesh to die? Just take a razor and cut the skin and tell you how you feel. The flesh hates dying. <laughs> the flesh will fight you with every ounce it has and say, don't you dare kill me. I'll show you. You love pain and suffering? I'll show you what pain and suffering is like. If you want to mess with the flesh, cut the flesh. And it'll pay, it'll pay you back. And so it don't like to die. And it'll fight you. And so now this causes a challenge for you because you can't go to a higher level in young without the flesh dying, but the flesh is going to fight you and, and try to punish you if you tell it to die. So that's where we got our spiritual battle. And one way to describe the spiritual battle between the flesh and the spirit is the battle between Jacob and Esau. Esau represents the flesh, what the flesh wants to do. Jacob represents the struggle and the desire to follow Yah. And you know, Jacob sometimes he went with his, his own understanding and sometimes um, he was doing what he's supposed to do. That's what we're like. We're like Jacob. You know, we're pursuing and we uh, want to be obedient. Sometimes we mess up. But we got to hold on uh, to the promise even when we're fighting Esau. So the coming out of Egypt and going to the promised land is the spiritual journey of the bride. And even as Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, went to the promised land, but while he was pursuing the promised land and the promises of Yah, he slipped into Egypt. But he came back. And so... Um, the wilderness is the trials, the tribulations, and the persecutions because in order to see the promise of Yah in our lives, in order to make it to the promised land, as we enter into the promise, as the promise is near, there's giants in the land. And so how do you defeat the giants? If you fight the giants in the flesh, you'll, you'll lose because in the natural, they're stronger than you. They're bigger than you. They're more powerful than you. The only way that you can do it is by um, this Torah, you will meditate day and night. And you will not go to the right, you will not go to the left, but you will meditate in it day and night, and then you will have success, is what he told Joshua. So that you have to learn that lesson in the wilderness. And then you have to be established in it, once you've learned the lesson of the wilderness and you're established in it, now you can fight the giants in the land and with the strategy of Yah for how you deal with the giants, then you can de defeat the giants and you can take your promised land. You can go into the inheritance of your promised land. So it says in Deuteronomy 6.23, He brought us out from there that He might bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. And so the destination is not just the generic promised land. It's a specific place in the promised land. It's Jerusalem, which means the Lord sees peace. And it's the hill of the Lord. Who will ascend to the hill of the Lord? It's to come to Mount Zion. 
And so, in this natural, physical blueprint that we have, if this was the goal, to bring them into the land, to bring them to Jerusalem, then we don't see the children of Israel in the natural, in the physical, fulfilling the journey out of Egypt until King David ruled over all 12 tribes from Jerusalem. Because he wanted to bring his people in the land, and, and when he brought them in the land, the one that brought them out of Egypt wanted to be king over them. So they had a king, King David. Now, David in Hebrew is David, which means beloved. Beloved is a term for the bride. So King David is a type of the bride of Messiah who conquers Jerusalem. The bride rules and reigns in Jerusalem with Yeshua the Messiah. So when David ruled over all 12 tribes from Jerusalem, that's where we're told and we have the phrase in the word Zion or Zion in Hebrew. 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 7. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, the same as the city of David. So Zion is the city of David. Zion is the city of David. David means beloved. Beloved is the bride. Zion is the city of the bride. 2 Samuel 5, 7, David means beloved. It's the Strong's number 1732. So, David means beloved, but beloved is a term for Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 3. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved. Touching his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And who's he speaking to? And now all inhabitants of Jerusalem. So beloved is a term for Jerusalem. And so we see in the fullness of the fullness of things that the new Jerusalem is the city of the bride. Revelation chapter 21 verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels and talked with me, saying, Come, I'm going to show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain. What's the name of the great and the high mountain? Mount Zion. And he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem. So the new Jerusalem is on the heavenly Mount Zion. And so... What is the fullness of Biblical Zion? The fullness of Biblical Zion is the oneness or the unity of the people of the God of Israel dwelling in the land that He promised them where they are following His Torah by His Spirit and their bridegroom is over them. And she acknowledges him and is following him. That the Messiah is over the people who he's brought into the land and they're following his Torah. Now, if you see that these are the components of biblical Zion and the enemy does not want to see biblical Zion established, 
You see, when we get this unity right there, you know what's going to happen? The end of the exile. What's the end of the exile? That's when Messiah rules and reigns. And so that unity is the Messiah ruling and reigning on his throne from Jerusalem. Well, what did Lucifer do in the beginning? He, he attacked the throne. So if he's attacking the throne, what is it that he attacks? Zeal. He attacks the people. He attacks the land. He attacks the Torah. He attacks the Messiah. And if biblical Zion is the oneness, what does the enemy want to do? He wants to try to disconnect the oneness. He wants to bring about a division. So in our world, we have those who identify as the people. They call themselves Jews. They identify as the people. And they identify with following the Torah. And they identify about living in the land. But they don't acknowledge the Messiah. And they're not trying to follow His Torah by His Spirit because they have a substitute system for His Torah by His Spirit. And the substitute authoritative system that they've set up is the rabbis and the authority of the rabbis. That the rabbis have dethroned Yeshua. And so... Um, we have a disconnect. Now, we have those that believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. They're commonly called Christians. And in our world, what most Christians are taught is, yes, He's the Messiah, but you're not to follow the Torah. It's bondage. And you're not Jews. So that Torah is not for you. And by the way, the land, that's for them. It's not for you. You're going to heaven. Don't worry about that land over there. You go to heaven. And so he tries, to, he tries to disconnect these things. So now you believe in the Messiah, you're trying to follow his Torah, and now you have a dispute with your family. So what's the dispute over? It's over Zion. There's a controversy of Zion. And so the enemy tries to come against these components individually, in any part coming together of those pieces. And so, biblical Zion is the people. Now, the people would be the house of Jacob. Because at Mount Sinai, Yeshua entered into covenant with the house of Jacob. But the house of Jacob broke the covenant, so he renews the covenant. And in renewing the covenant, he makes a renewed covenant, commonly called the new covenant, with the house of Jacob. So the house of Jacob is his people, but within the house of Jacob, um, he has, the house of Jacob has made a betrothal with him and he wants to dwell with a people in the second stage of the marriage who are of the house of Jacob. Individually, there are those of the house of Jacob who are betrothed who are unfaithful. So individually, some won't enter into the second stage of the marriage within the house of Jacob. And so ultimately, we have the bride of Messiah, those who come to be tamim and without blemish and spiritually mature because they love Him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and they seek to do His will and they've been bought with a price and they're Life is not their own. They live to do the will of God and to give glory. 
to Yeshua the Messiah to be used to bear fruit for His glory and the glory of His kingdom, that is going to be the people that He dwells with from the house of Jacob. So actually, the bride of Messiah, meaning the one that He's going to enter into the second stage and dwell with and consummate the marriage with, is a remnant of the house of Jacob. The one he's going to enter into the second stage of the marriage is a remnant of those that entered into the first stage of the house of Jacob. And so we have this picture in the Torah where when Abraham wanted to get a bride for Isaac, this is another teaching, but Isaac is a type of Zion. When he wanted to get a bride for Isaac, he was instructed, Eliezer was instructed to go get a bride for Isaac from among his people. The bride came from among his people. So his people is the house of Jacob, but the bride comes from among the house of Jacob. Biblical Zion is the people which ends up becoming the bride of Messiah who believe the covenant that was made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and he brings his bride to dwell with him in the land. They acknowledge and follow his Torah by the Spirit and proclaim that Yeshua is the Messiah. Once again, this is what the picture looks like of the end of the journey. The fullness of the fulfillment of the journey of the bride. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at these individual components of what is biblical Zion because this becomes the end of the journey. He brought us out of Egypt that he might bring us into the land to bring us to Jerusalem because he wants to dwell with his bride in Jerusalem and he wants to bestow his life upon her, Shabbat Shalom. So now, Zion is a term for the people of the God of Israel. And specifically, it's a term for the bride of Messiah. So it says in Isaiah 51 verse 16, Say unto Zion, you are my people. So we can see how Zion is associated with being the bride of Yeshua in Isaiah 62 verse 1. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace. So the subject is Zion. And here's what it says about Zion. Verse 5. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. Marry who? Zion. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your bride rejoice over you. And so Zion is the bride of the bridegroom. Zion is a term for the land of Israel. Joel chapter 2 verse 1. Blow the shofar in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Zion. Let the inhabitants of the land. Zion. The land. Zion is the land. See, with Greek thought, they come and say, if I say, well, Zion is the people, it's the bride, it's the land. Someone say, no, it's the land. No, no, you don't understand. It's the land. Well, Greek thought is, it's this or this. 
Hebrew thought it's this and that and that and that all at the same time because it's layered. It's layered. And all the layers of an onion are a part of the onion. So the land of Israel becomes the inheritance of the bride. You see, if the bride is faithful to the betrothal, she gets a reward. She gets an inheritance from her bridegroom for being a faithful bride. And that inheritance is she's got to have a place to dwell. It's, it's her land. She's got to have a place to have a home. That's what she wants. She wants to settle down and have a home. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 7. And Moses called Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for ye must go with this people unto the land which Yahweh has sworn unto your fathers to give them. And ye shall cause them to inherit it. The land you will inherit. The bride of Yeshua is an heir of the promised land. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He doesn't say seeds as of many, but as of one into your seed, which is Messiah. If you are Messiahs, then are you Abraham's seed, and you are an heir according to the promise. And so this is actually talking, referring to the bride of Messiah is an heir of the promised land. You're an heir according to the promise. And so... The bride of Yeshua will dwell in her promised land. Isaiah chapter 14 verse 1. For Yahweh will have mercy on Jacob. He will yet choose Israel and set them in their own land. He will set them in their own land. And so now the bride is on a journey. Which was prophesied in the garden in Genesis which gets played out in the history of the nation of Israel, what actually gets played out in the last 2,000 years. And so what we see, the pattern is that once we have the relationship established, betrothal, that the bride becomes unfaithful and there's a separation, there's a divorce, there's an exile, but the God of Israel hates divorce. Um, it grieves him. It burdens his heart um, because his bride has done this because his love for her is so great. His love for her is so great that rather than to punish her eternally, he would rather die himself than to see her punished eternally, but what he does want from her is he wants her to acknowledge that she's departed from him and to repent. And so if she will repent, he wants to renew and restore the relationship. And because she's coming back with a different heart, he wants to even make it better than what it was in the beginning. And so the journey of the bride is departing from the covenant, going into exile, but then returning back to her promised land. 
So in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14, it says, Turn, O backsliding children, says Yahweh, for I am married unto you. I'm married unto you. I will take you one of the city and two of a family. I will bring you to Zeo. I'm married to you. I'll bring you to Zeo. I'm married to you. I'll bring you Zeo. See, Zeo is where the marriage takes place, the second stage of the marriage. So the marriage takes place in the land. Zeo is the land. And the marriage takes place with his bride because Zeo is the bride. And Mount Zion is the end of the exile. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 18. In those days, the house of Judah, that's the southern kingdom, will walk with the house of Israel, that's the northern kingdom, or the ten tribes, or the house of Joseph, or Ephraim. And they will come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. And so... Who's living in the land of Israel now is not the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Who's living in the land of Israel now is the house of Judah and her companions. Those that are sojourning at the house of Judah. So once we believe the promises that the Messiah has made to the bride, once the bride receives his once the bride of Messiah believes the promises that he has made with her, then she'll be comforted. When she doesn't believe his promises, she'll be in distress. Isaiah chapter 51, verses 1 through 3. Hearken to me, you that follow after righteousness, you that seek Yahweh. Look to Abraham your father. What does it mean, look to Abraham your father? It means look to the covenant that was made with Abraham. And the life of Abraham. And the prophetic picture of the life of Abraham, which I've already gone over, Abraham's calling is the calling of the bride. Look to Abraham, for the Lord will comfort Zion. So when you look to Abraham, is how Zion, the bride, gets comforted, meaning when you believe the promise. Now, it's the Messiah himself, the bridegroom, the good shepherd, who gathers the exiles of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 10. Hear the word of Yahweh, O you nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. Now look, the one that scattered is also the one that gathers. And when he gathers, he gathers as a good shepherd. He that scattered will gather, but the one that gathers as the good shepherd is also the one that scattered. But the one that scattered is the one that gave the Torah at Mount Sinai because he said, if you break my covenant, I'm going to scatter you. So the good shepherd is also the one that gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. And so Yeshua was the bridegroom that entered into marriage with the house of Jacob at Mount Sinai. He was also the the lawgiver, she was disobedient after the betrothal. So he said, I want time out and separation. So he kicked her out of his house. That's the land of Israel. Scattered her, but he made a promise to her. If you'll repent, he that scattered will gather. And when she returns, 
There's the renewing of the joy of the original marriage. There's the renewing of that joy. Jeremiah 31, verses 12 and 13. It says, Therefore they will come and sing in the height of Zion. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them. So the comfort of Zion is the end of the exile of the bride. And now her comfort, which is the end of her exile, is likened unto joy, singing, dancing. It's likened unto marriage. So her, the end of her exile is her song. She's happy too. The song of Zion. It says in Psalm 137 verse 1, By the rivers of Babylon we sat down, we wept whenever we remembered Zion. Verse 2, we hanged our harps on the willows. Verse 3, For there they that carried us away required of us a song. And they that wasted us, took us into captivity, required of us a song, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. You know what's being done to her? She's being mocked. She's in Babylon. She's in captivity. She's sitting down. And her harp is on the willow. And while she's sitting down by the rivers of Babylon, her harp's on the willow, then her captors come to her and say, sing. Sing us one of the songs of Zeo. And the reply is how? How? How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land in Babylon? And so you know what Christianity teaches? That we can sing the Lord's song in exile. And what is to them the Lord's song? What is to most of traditional Christianity the Lord's song that's going to deliver them from their exile? The pre-tribulation rapture. Well, you can't sing the Lord's song in Babylon. But look what the Lord's song is called. Sing us a song of Zion. So the subject is the song of Zion. That's the subject, the song of Zion. Because that's what they want us to sing, the song of Zion. How? The Lord's song. Song of Zion. How? The Lord's song. So the song of Zion is the song of the Lord, which is the song of the Lamb. You see that? The song of Zion is the Lord's song. The song of Zion, the Lord is Yeshua. He's the Lamb. And so when is the bride going to be able to sing that song, which her captors mocked her, saying, sing it to us? Well, it's being sung in Revelation chapter 15, verse 3. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and they sing the song of the Lamb. So why are they singing the Lord's song? Because they're not in Babylon. And the enemies of the bride does not have her in captivity. And Revelation 15, verse 2 says, they Revelation 15 verse 2 says, I saw those that got the victory over the beast, over his mark, over the image, and over the number of his name. And those that get the victory over the beast, they sing the song of Moses, and they sing the song of the Lamb. Okay, historically, when did we sing the song of Moses? 
Exodus chapter 15, when Pharaoh chased the children of Israel, and Pharaoh's army was drowned in the sea, that is when Miriam and the children of Israel took timbrels and dance, and they sang the song of Moses. So you sing the song of Moses when Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army is defeated and you don't need to worry about Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army anymore. That's when you say, well, Pharaoh and his army is a picture of those that take Israel into captivity. Pharaoh and his army is a picture of the beast, the beast system, and even the one that we might call the Antichrist. So we don't have to worry about the beast, the beast system. We don't have to worry about the Antichrist anymore. And when that's all past, it's all history, never have it um, interfere with our lives anymore. Now we can sing the song of Moses and we can sing the song of the Lamb because it's the Lamb that delivered us from the beast of his mark and his image and the number of his name. So, Zion is a term for the end of the exile of the bride. Psalm 147, verse 2. Yahweh builds up Jerusalem. So, what is the building up of Jerusalem? The building up of Jerusalem is the same as the building up of Zion. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. So the end of the journey, I brought you out that I might bring you in. And so when he builds up Jerusalem, when we come to Jerusalem, he's going to gather together the exiles of Israel. You see, when you're in Jerusalem, you're not in the wilderness anymore. And so the building up of Jerusalem is the gathering uniting the 12 tribes of Israel. Isaiah 11 verse 12. He will set a banner for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Yeshua is going to return when he completes the goal of the bringing of his people out of Egypt. That is to have a bride that's betrothed, faithful, and he's going to dwell with her. Psalm 102, verse 13. You will arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her, yea, the set time has come. Then it says, when the Lord builds up Zion, the building up of Zion is the same as the building up of Jerusalem. And the building up of Jerusalem is gathering together the outcasts of Israel. So when he builds up Zion, when he gathers together the exiles of Israel, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, he shall appear in his glory. And so, when is Yeshua going to return? What does he have to do first before he returns in his glory? He's got to build up Zeal. What's the building up of Zeal? The gathering uniting the 12 tribes of Israel. So the gathering uniting the 12 tribes of Israel precedes Yeshua setting his feet down on the Mount of Olives because he's redeeming his bride from her captivity. Because he wants to dwell with her. Now, this is a very important Torah concept that without an understanding of the Torah, it will never come into your mind. And that is this. And it's stated in the book In the Garden of Torah by Rabbi Menachem Schneerson. And here's the principle. Here's the concept. The exodus from Egypt is connected to the ultimate redemption. What's the ultimate redemption? That's when his people are no longer in exile. And when his people is no longer in exile, that means we have the Messianic era. When we have the Messianic era, we have Messiah being revealed to his people and Messiah acknowledged as being the king of the house 
of Jacob. And we have Messiah ruling and reigning, teaching the Torah to all nations from Jerusalem. That's the ultimate redemption. So now, the exodus from Egypt is tied with that. It's linked with that. So in other words, we haven't completed our goal of coming out of Egypt until we have the end of the exile and Yeshua being recognized as the Messiah by the entire house of Jacob. And he sets up his kingdom and he rules and reigns with his bride over all nations, teaching the Torah to all nations with his bride from Jerusalem. That's when we have the completion of the coming out of Egypt. Because the fourth I will is, I will marry you to be a people and you will be my people and I will be your God. Well, that isn't fulfilled until we got the new covenant. And that isn't fulfilled until we have his people fully redeemed and get into the second stage of the marriage. And so the fourth I will of the coming out of Egypt isn't fulfilled until we have the Messianic times. Now remember, the journey of the bride in the Torah is from Egypt to her promised land, which is Jerusalem or Mount Zion. Deuteronomy 6.23, He brought us out from there that He might bring us in to give us the land that He swore to our fathers. So, the exodus from Egypt is tied to the ultimate redemption. That is, the, the fullness of the fulfillment of the coming out of Egypt is when we arrive to the Messianic era. But before we arrive to the Messianic era, we've got to go to the wilderness. And what's wilderness is exile. So before we have the completion of the coming out of Egypt, his people are going to be in exile. They're going to be in the wilderness, but then he's got to bring them out of the wilderness, out of exile, and he's going to bring them to the land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as it says in the Torah, you're going to have a circumcised heart in Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 6, and you're going to have it better than your forefathers. So, if you understand this picture that the coming out of Egypt is connected to the ultimate redemption, then until we arrive to the Messianic era, we're still coming out of Egypt. And we're still seen as being in Egypt in the process of coming out of Egypt. Only with this blueprint and this picture will you adequately understand Isaiah chapter 27 verse 13 which says, It shall come to pass in that day that the great shofar shall be blown, and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria, and the outcasts of the land of Egypt. Now, you know how 99% of the people will read this if they don't have the concept of the Torah, which is Hebraic, which is non-logical. Logical is Greek. When they said that they were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and in the land of Egypt, you know what someone's going to think? That his people's going to be in Syria and Egypt, literally, before they return. And I've seen some books written on Bible prophecy trying to explain how that's going to be. But what's the land of Assyria? That's where the northern kingdom was taken into captivity. 
Well, until they ultimately return and end their captivity and finalize the end of the captivity, they've still been taken captive into Assyria. And until we arrived in the Messianic era, his people were still outcasts in the land of Egypt. Because Egypt is not only literal Egypt, but Egypt is a type of the world, the world system. And as long as you're in the world, the world system, and subject to the world, the world system, you're an outcast if you're trying to follow the ways of the God of Israel. So, you're an outcast in the land of Egypt, and he's going to bring them from being scattered in the nations, and they will worship the Lord in the Holy Mount at Jerusalem. What's the Holy Mount? Mount Zion. So he's going to bring them to Mount Zion, because Mount Zion is the end of the journey. We have gone over that the bride of Messiah in the New, in the new Covenant is given a new heart. Her stony heart is taken away. She's given a heart of flesh. Paul says, I delight in the Torah of God after the inward man. I remind you what we've also shared with you earlier. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 4 that the righteousness of the Torah is fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh. The flesh is Baal worship. But after the Spirit. We're supposed to follow the Torah by the Spirit. And if we follow the Torah by the Spirit, we're the sons of God. So, when we follow the Torah by the Spirit, we have spiritually arrived to our goal and our destination of Tamim, which is spiritual maturity. And so we've made it to the mountain of the Lord. And if we've made it to the mountain of the Lord, we're going to rule and reign with Messiah. And so Zion and ruling out of Zion is associated with the Messianic times. And the bride of Messiah is going to rule with him, teaching the nations his Torah out of Zion. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 3. And many people shall go and say, Come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord. The mountain of the Lord is Mount Zion. To the house of the God of Jacob. That's the temple. And this is referring to Ezekiel's temple. He will teach us his ways. That's the Torah. We will walk in his paths. That's the Torah. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah. In the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It's going to go forth out of Zion. What does that mean? What goes forth from Jerusalem. Literally. Jerusalem. The place. Jerusalem. It goes forth out of Zion. What does that mean? Well, Zion's the bride. So out of the bride or from the bride will go forth the Torah. Where's the, where's the bride living in when she reaches the end of her journey? In Jerusalem. So... From the bride in Jerusalem, which is the place that she's dwelling with her husband at, where she has shalom and shabbat and high in that condition, she's going to be teaching the Torah with him. And so this that we see and I've explained in the natural physical world, that... Mount Zion, since it's the goal and the objective of the journey of the bride, and the bride is to do the will of her bridegroom, that the Torah is to be written upon her heart, 
And she follows the Torah by the Spirit and has the fruit of the Spirit. And that if I follow the Torah by the Spirit, the place of the bride is Jerusalem. If I follow the Torah by the Spirit, I've arrived at spiritual Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. And so Mount Zion is the heavenly Jerusalem, which is the city of the bride. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, if you do not know what I've been explaining to you today, the journey of the bride and how it goes from Genesis to Revelation, the story of the bride, the journey of the bride, and you don't have a Torah background, and you've been told for 1,700 years that you're not supposed to follow the Torah, it's bondage. And you got a culture that's celebrating Christmas and Easter and has rejected the Sabbath, and they say we're supposed to meet on Sunday. And in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning around verse 18, it says you've not come to the mount that might be touched. Um, speaking of Mount Sinai, you've not come there, but you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And so in a logical mind, that's where they say, by reading it logically, with a carnal mind, without spiritual eyes, without Torah concepts, oh, you've not come to Mount Sinai. Okay, Mount Sinai, okay, that's the law. We've not come to Mount Zion, we've not come to Mount Sinai, that's the law. Oh, we're not supposed to follow the law. But instead of following the law, we're supposed to focus on heaven. Yeah, we're supposed to focus on heaven. It's not about the law, it's about believing in Yeshua, and it's about the heavenly Jerusalem. You see how you come to that thought process when you don't have the right foundation. But now with the right foundation, it's not saying the Torah or focusing on heaven rather than going to the, the land. Because they take this and they say, see, you know, the New Testament is all about the heavenly Jerusalem. It's not about some land. It's because they missed the whole concept that Mount Zion is the end of the journey and it's got multiple layers. And one of the names of the layers is the heavenly Jerusalem. And so the new Jerusalem is the city of the bride. That's her ultimate goal, to dwell with her bridegroom, to do his will, to follow his Torah by his spirit, and that he wants to dwell with her and shower her with the absolutely best that he can provide for her beyond her comprehension. Well, that's the New Jerusalem. That's her city. That's her reward. That's her inheritance. That's the land that she's inheriting is to dwell with him forever. Revelation 21 verses 9 and 10. And there came unto me one of the seven angels and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain, Mount Zion. And he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem. And so Mount Zion is the city of the great king. Psalm 48 verse 2. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. On the sides of the north, the city of the great king. The great king is Yeshua. And so where does he dwell? Where is his throne? 
Where does he rule from? Mount Zion. What Mount Zion? The heavenly Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And if you do his will on the earth, he will dwell. If, if you do his will, then his kingdom has come. And if you do his will, then in doing his will, what he has said will rule and reign in your life. And so, he's the city of the great. He lives and rules from the city of the great king. So, Yeshua dwells in Zion. You want to know where his throne is? You want to know where he's at? You want to know his character? Um, you want to have an intimate relationship with him? You will learn, find out all of that in zeal. In other words, when you want to understand what zeal is and all of its layers and components, that's where you'll know him intimately because that's where he dwells. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17. I will wait upon the Lord that hides his face from the house of Jacob. I will look for him. Who's the one that his people's looking for? Who are they looking for? The Messiah. So the one that they're looking for, when she's disobedient, he's hiding his face from her. So the one that's hiding his face because she's disobedient is the one that they're looking for. And then it says in verse 18, Behold, I and the children of Israel whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh of hosts, which dwells in Mount Zion. So Yahweh of hosts is the one that they're looking for. The one that they're looking for is the Messiah. So Messiah is Yahweh of hosts. He's dwelling in Mount Zion. So when he dwells in Mount Zion, what does Mount Zion look like? Mount Zion is the unity. We've gone over this. The unity of his people. And this is really all about his bride. It's the unity of his bride, who he's made covenant promise to, who believes the covenant promise, and she receives the blessing of that covenant promise only when she's obedient to his Torah, but she can't follow the Torah in her own wisdom and understanding, in her own mind, but only by his spirit when she acknowledges him as her bridegroom and makes him Lord of her life and Yeshua is king and declared king over the whole house of Jacob. That's biblical Zion. And so then who is going to be calling people to come to Yeshua and to learn of him and his ways? Well, Yeshua is going to be doing it through his spirit because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and Yeshua is truth and the spirit was sent to reveal to people that Yeshua is the Messiah. So the spirit is going to be calling people to the Messiah but who else is going to be calling people to the Messiah? His bride because she knows him. So that's why it says in Revelation 22, verse 17, the spirit says come, the bride says come. The spirit and the bride say come. Now I want you to read the rest of this verse with Hebrew eyes and a Hebrew mind. Now it's the spirit the bride that's saying come. Let him that hears say come. 
What comes to your mind? Him that hears, hears. What's that? That's Shema. So the bride is saying Shema, hear. The spirit is saying Shema, hear. Let him that is thirsty come. Well, thirsty for what? Thirsty for the Torah. Thirsty for the Messiah. Thirsty for the outpouring of the Spirit. So those that are Shema and those who are thirsty are told to come. It's offered to everybody. No one is to be left out. The offer is for everyone. Whoever wills, let him take of the water of life freely. If you partake of the water of life freely, there is an unlimited supply of the water of life. What's the water of life? It's Yeshua. What's the water of, what's the water of life? It's the Torah. What's the water of life? It's a spirit. So he offers to his bride, Yeshua offers himself, his Torah, and his spirit without measure. And this offer is to all who is willing to come. And so, with this good news, with this desire, with this longing to see that this be completed and fulfilled, and that this world passes away, and we can, and the bride of Messiah can live with him forever and ever and ever. That's why after the spirit and the bride say come, we can say, even so, come Lord Yeshua. So is that your heart cry? Yes. Even so, come Lord Yeshua. So this is the journey of the bride. And so I already know uh, that this message has touched your heart because whenever Yeshua by his spirit is speaking to his bride her heart is moved and so I want to thank Yeshua for this message to his bride the calling of his bride and I want to thank him for everything and everything that he does, which he does by his spirit. And so if you've been blessed, and I know you have been, please give all praise, glory, and honor to whom it belongs. And that's the bride's bridegroom. That's Yeshua the Messiah. Because of his love for her, which is immeasurable. He and he alone deserves all her praise, glory, and honor. So uh, we are going to um, end with a song. Last night I sleeping, I dreamed a dream so fair. I stood in old Jerusalem beside the
the great Shabbat, continue to fellowship um, one with another. And um, I pray that you've been blessed. And all praise goes to Yeshua, our bridegroom. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom.